Okay, if you have a Bible, if you want to find Acts chapter 2, or uh, find it on your phone, or don't worry if not, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. Um, What the the plan for this weekend is we're going to, we've got four sessions together um, and we're going to look at one verse over four sessions. So we're going in deep. Um, So we're going to look at uh, uh, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And then each session we're going to take time to look at not even just one verse, but one word from that verse in each session. So this evening... Uh, I'm going to be talking about what it is to be devoted to the fellowship. Um, Joel's going to talk twice tomorrow. Um, Is he here yet, do we know? He's here. Oh, great. He's in the bar. (laughs) Excellent. Oh, good. 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 Rocky flight then. (laughs) So he's going to be talking tomorrow uh, about what it is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and what it is to be devoted to prayer and then Tim's going to be talking on Sunday morning about what it is to be devoted to the breaking of bread. We'll share communion together in that time as well. And we, one of the reasons we particularly wanted just to hone in on this verse is because the, the book of Acts gives us this wonderful picture of what the early church was, was like. What the, here in Acts 2, you've got the first church, basically, After Jesus has died and been resurrected, he tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come, is poured out on them, and from there, everything suddenly changes. And how they respond, what they do, is they start churches. Uh, Obviously, they start one in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are converted, so they've suddenly got from nothing, they've suddenly got this church of, uh, a kind of mega church that they need to deal with, uh, and then they start planting churches all across the Middle East. And you read, obviously, the story of uh, Paul as he travels all over the place planting churches. And here at the end of Acts chapter 2, you get this little kind of mini window into what, they're, what they valued, what they were passionate about, uh, right at the very start, the kind of the initial DNA of the church, what they really uh, were going for, what they were going after, So we wanted to just take these four sessions to really arrow in on some things which were important to them and should be important to us. Some things that as a church we want to really value uh, and we should value. And we've asked Joel and Tim to come in, not just because they're from Emmanuel Church, which is just where we came from, where Joe and I moved from, but because we're very much, we're working together uh, as a group of churches. We've got a shared mission a shared vision, shared values. Uh, we're working together with the church uh, in Berlin, Mosaic Church, um, Grace City Church in Ottawa, obviously in Brighton. We're looking to plant more churches in cities just like Amsterdam around the world. And to do that with a shared, a shared sense of purpose and values and vision. And this is very much, very much part of that. Um, and what, what I wanted to do was just start off by a little bit different. We wouldn't normally do this on a Sunday, but just ask you guys a question. I just want you to put your hand up. If you've been part of Liberty Church for six months or less, as in from when you first arrived, interns, don't put your hand up. You don't count. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you, you just count for like a week. Okay. But six months or less, why don't you put your hand up? Okay, great. Um, if you've been here 
a year or less. Why don't you put your hand up? Super. Okay. Um, uh, less than two years or less. Okay. And then three years or less. Okay. You can see the number gets smaller as we go on. And uh, is any, does anyone, anyone longer than that? There we go. <laughs> there are about seven of us. So as you can see, this community here, this church, is, we're very new. <laughs> um, you, maybe if you've, if you've rocked up in the last few months, you might not be quite aware of that, but that just illustrates that this is a real new gang of people, a new group of people together. So it's important for us to set some, some values and think, well, where are we going? Who are we? What do we believe? What are we going to do together? Um, and what do we want to function like as a community, as the family of God, as his church here in Amsterdam, or we're not quite in Amsterdam, but when we are in Amsterdam as his, as his church there. And what I'm talking about this evening is um, this phrase, devoted to fellowship. So let me just read the passage. Uh, I'll read from verse 42 through to verse 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this, this little glimpse, this little picture of what those first believers in Jerusalem, uh, after what for some of them might have, might have felt this just the chaos almost of what had happened, uh, of, of your crucifixion, of your death and then your resurrection, suddenly he's back and then uh, your ascension, you telling them to stay and to wait and they're thinking, what's going to happen? What are we waiting for? What's life going to look like? And suddenly this church explodes into life and we get this little picture of what they went after, what they were passionate about, of the things that you'd laid on their hearts, how they responded to your message, Jesus, and, and who you are and we want to respond <laughs> We, we, we want to have lives that respond to you, that we don't just read about you in a book. It's not just a myth or a story, but something that changes us, that transforms us. And we, that's our prayer for this weekend, that, uh, that maybe in a little way, maybe in a big way, you would transform us individually and together as a community. Push us forward, Father, into, the, into what you have for us, your mission, your plans for us, we pray. Amen. And this idea of fellowship, the fact that they were devoted to the fellowship, that might seem perhaps like a, a bit of a, a distant dream, something kind of unattainable. Often Christians will read this passage and think, oh, I'd love church to look like that, but almost feel as like they can never quite get there. It feels a bit elusive, a mirage in the distance. They can never quite achieve it. Or maybe you think the fellowship is just something out of this picture 
Um, move on. There we go. Of these guys, the Fellowship of the Ring. It's just you think it's a bit weird and quaint and old-fashioned, and it's hobbits and elves, and you're thinking fellowship. Who talks about a fellowship anymore? Sounds a bit, a bit bizarre. But w- what it's talking about here is, I guess these guys aren't actually that bad an example. There's a sense of partnership, a sense of commitment together to one another and to a shared sense of values and belief of a a shared, let's achieve something together, let's do something together, let's be something together. And all through the book of Acts, as we said, this story of these very first churches, you get this kind of, you can't escape from this just impression of unity that you get all the time. You know, even when you read Paul's letters, he finishes most of them by just greeting people. You think, why is this in here? Why do we need to know this 2,000 years later? But he just lists all these people, send my greetings to so-and-so. He wants to catch up with this person. I'm so sorry I couldn't get to see that person. And you just get this sense of the fact that they really loved each other, that they were doing something together. There's a sense of unity and family and commitment, fellowship. And it's important to start and ask, what's the... What's the basis of our fellowship? Like, where does it, where does it come from? Because in many ways, the, the society we, we live in is kind of geared against this. Um, all the studies show that social media just makes you lonelier. <laughs> you think it's giving you community, but it's not. It just makes people lonelier. Now, many of us, in different ways, not through our fault, it's not something we've done wrong, but we live lives that are very much fragmented, you know, our work life is over here, our home life is over here, our friends are over here, our church is over here. You know, we might live in a different country from our family, and everything's all a bit fragmented. Um, our life doesn't overlap in any way, and it's difficult for us to build any sense of real community or real friendship when your life is just broken up into different compartments that never really overlap with one another. And even the way that the world is functions, we're we're trained to think individually. You know, we talk about this all the time, that this is the, the kind of the vibe of Amsterdam, is to think of your dreams, your desires, what do you want to achieve, your ambitions, everything's geared toward what, what do I want to do? And this kind of individualistic thinking, it shouldn't surprise us. This isn't anything that's particularly new in some respect, because this is what, this is what sin does. This is what sin does. Sin is, is antisocial. Sin puts up barriers between people. Sin pushes us away from people. And a great way to, to understand what's happening in, in, in Acts chapter 2 is to first of all go back to Genesis 11. And you get the story of Babel or, or Babel, depending on how you say it. So right from the very start of the Bible, God's plan has been one of, of unity of God wanting to bring out a people of his own possession, his people who are going to take uh, his glory to the ends of the earth. They're going to fill the earth with the glory of God. That's the mandate that God gives them. But that falls apart. Sin comes and destroys that. And in, in Genesis 11, you see a group of people who are united. They're trying to do something together. But what they try and do is they're united in their rebellion against God. So it says in Genesis 11 verse 4, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. 
Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse, be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And they're no longer interested in God's glory. They're seeking their own fame, their own dreams, their own desires. The, the tower is this symbol of human independence, of self-sufficiency. We don't need God. God's dead to us. What's important is what we can achieve, what we can do, which sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Thousands of years later. And they don't want to go and fill the earth anymore. They don't want to be a people united for God's glory. They want to be united in their rebellion. And to halt this rebellion, what God does is he comes and he, he separates them by giving them different languages so they can't understand each other anymore. They, they babble, they babel. It says in Genesis 11, uh, this is God speaking, come let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. And what happens in, in Acts chapter 2 in, in Pentecost is we see the beginnings of the reversal of what's happened in Genesis 11, the reversal of, of Babel, where God comes, where his disciples have been waiting in this upper room, 100, 120 of them. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They're waiting, they're praying, and suddenly God breaks out. 3,000 people are converted, and what happens is um, this group of 120 have been praying, but then God comes and pours out his spirit on this whole crowd of people from all sorts of different nations and tribes and backgrounds. And he speaks to them in their own language. See, Babel was reversed. They start to hear God in their own tongue. And it's not just about this special people of Jews and Israelites, but it's, it's all of God's people now. He's, he's reuniting. He's reversing what's gone, what's gone wrong. It says in Ephesians 1... In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his promise, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And then it says to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's part of God's redemption plan, as part of what Jesus achieved on the cross, is to unite us back together again, to call again back to himself a people for his own possession, his church, to go into the world, to take that original mandate which they blew, and to take the glory of God and fill the earth with it. Jesus came to reunite us. It says in Ephesians 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's what God has done now. He's brought us back together. You know, this room is a beautiful picture of it. People from different nationalities and backgrounds suddenly found ourselves in Amsterdam. God's brought us back together to unite us, to help fulfill his plan, his purposes. And we see in the end of Acts 2, their devotion to fellowship is that they're working out the first roots of God's amazing redemption plan. That's what they're doing. They're seeing what's happened on Pentecost. 
and, and that's how they're responding to it. We're gonna, this moment of unity is not going to be this kind of Holy Spirit blast, but we're going to work this out now. We're going to work out what it means. Now that God has brought this unity, we're going to work out how we're going to do that. What does that look like amongst us? See, it's the church, we're not just a club of like-minded people. We happen just to believe the same thing. We're not just that we've had some shared experience. We've walked through some journeys together. Therefore, you know, we can kind of get on a little bit better. But our fellowship comes from the unity that God brings through the gospel. That's where it comes from. It's not, we're not united because we just really like each other. We're united because of what Jesus has done. He's united us back together again. It says in 1, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's his fellowship. It's the fellowship of Jesus, which we've been called into. We've been called into union, unity, not just with each other, but most importantly, unity with Christ. He's called us to be a body together with Christ as the head. That's what his church is, called into this remarkable unity that only the gospel brings. You can't find it anywhere else. It's only in the church where you see this happen because only Jesus can do that. And the gospel creates community like nothing else can. And that's what we're trying to build here in this city. We're the same way. We're responding to what God's done in our lives together. And we're saying, yes, let's build something for his glory now. So let's look at some of the, that's where fellowship comes from, but some of the effects of fellowship, because not only does it come from the gospel, but it's actually one of the ways that God works out the gospel in our lives is through fellowship. It's through one another. Fellowship is, is a means of grace to us. It's one of the ways that God changes us. One of the ways that God, perhaps, perhaps the main way that God will change you will be through the church, as in it will be through other people. Christianity isn't something that you do by yourself. <laughs> we need other people around us because that's a means of God's grace to us. It says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to stir up one another to love and good works. We're to encourage one another. God uses those around us to stir us up, to encourage us, to, to help us to see Jesus again, to lead us to him. So if you're, if you're holding back from friendship, from community in the church, Maybe you just feel like you're just not quite ready to commit or you just want to stand at a distance. You're happy just to look in from the fringes. You're actually holding back from, from what Jesus wants to do in your life. You're saying, well, that you, that you can have this bit of my life, Jesus, but I'm not prepared to open up the rest of it. And we can all find moments where actually we don't want to embrace community for all sorts of different reasons. Maybe you've been let down. Maybe you've been hurt or you feel disappointed. 
And you can just, you can, without even realizing it sometimes, you can just stand back and think, well, I'm not going to really open myself up to these people. I'm not going to really trust these people, or I will, but I'm gonna, they're going to have to really earn my trust. I have to really earn it. And the thing is, our relational commitment, it's not solely based on trusting them, not trusting others. It's, it's actually mostly based on trusting them as a means of God's grace to you. Actually, you're trusting that God might use that person. It's not just you're trusting them because all of us are flawed. None of us are perfect. So if you're waiting for the perfect person to come along that you can confide in and they can help change your life, you're not going to find it. But as broken people, we help other broken people by God's grace. And we say, I trust that God's going to, even this flawed person, God can use them to help me. You know, God uses fellowship sometimes to protect us from, from all sorts of things. It says in Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is cool today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort one another, to help one another, to help those that are struggling, to help those that are facing trials and difficulties, temptation, to guard and protect one another. See, because it, it might be that you've come here this weekend or in your life in general, you're just, you've been praying or you've been desiring or you've, you're aching for some kind of breakthrough, something just to change in your life. There's a, maybe, a, maybe there's an issue, there's, something, there's a sin in your life that you just can't get past and you don't know what to do about it and you've been praying, asking God, help, I need help. God, would you do something? Would you break through in my life? And actually, it, it might be that the, the breakthrough that you need is someone else in this room. That's, that's a much better way to think about it. Well, the, the, the thing that might actually change it for you actually help you might be someone else here, might be the person sitting next to you. And actually the flip side is that you hear, you might be able to help someone else. <laughs> if you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm fine, I don't need any breakthrough, you might be able to be the means of God's grace to somebody else, even this weekend. We, and you can, we, sometimes we can be coming and praying and praying and praying and never open ourselves up to anybody. And then the moment we just say, oh, I've had enough, because what we're really doing is... By not opening up, we're saying, I'm praying to you, God, but really I'm trusting in myself because I'm holding the keys right here, close. And when we'd say, do you know what? I, you know, I, I need some help. <laughs> and, and someone help me, then you're no longer trusting what you can do. It's not like you're trusting them to fix it, by, but, but by even just talking it through with somebody, you're then suddenly handing over to God. And that might be the thing that you need uh, to, to change you. And sometimes that's painful. You know, I don't want to mess around with it. It's a painful thing. You know, we know the phrase, iron sharpens iron. Well, that's in the Bible. That's in Proverbs. And that's sometimes what it is to, to, to uh, where it says to, to we exhort one another or where we're to encourage one another. Sometimes it's a bit like iron sharpening iron. You know, sparks fly. It's painful. It's not easy. But God uses those things to, to change us. So uh, I, I remember actually where it was many years ago, I was, 
I was working with Joel, who's enjoying his drink in the bar, and um, the bar's actually closed, so he's not. He's just sitting there, I know that. But uh, we were, I used to work for Joel years ago, and we were living in a town called Bedford. Uh, Joel was moving to, he was moving to pastor the church in Brighton, um, which is um, a d- different part of England, about three hours away in the car. So he said to Joe and I, why don't you come with me to help, help us to do this? Why don't you come and join us? And for, for quite a long time, um, we would, to be honest, I was just worrying about it. I just, there were all sorts of things I couldn't get past, things I was worried about, things I was scared of. How's this going to work? How's that going to work? And we were in, in a, a car journey together, me and Joel, and he asked me what I was thinking about it, so I just kind of poured out all this, I don't know how this is going to work, I'm worried about this, not how sure how this is going to happen. I don't even know if he was listening, because I talked for quite a long time. And eventually, I kind of paused and kind of let up for breath, and Joel said to me, Matt, that's just fear. And that was it. <laughs> that's all he said. He said, Matt, you're just being fearful. Um, and, and actually, it, it, was, it, it just changed something in me. It was like a light bulb moment, like, oh yeah, He's totally right. I'm just, I'm just being a, not that I was being a pansy and I needed to man up, but there was, there was something in my life that was, that just wasn't trusting God. I was just fearing. I was just, was scared. And it was like, oh, I just really just need to trust God. And, and it, it just changed something in me. And that, I would imagine, maybe he just wanted to, me to shut up, but I imagine for Joel, that was probably, that takes some courage to say to another brother, Look, you, that's just fear. Just stop it. You know, you're, just, you're just worrying and you need to stop doing it. That's not an easy thing to say. But yet he had the courage to say it, to encourage me, to exhort me. And it, it changed something. It just unlocked something in my life. And there might be things for you here that you might be able to help unlock a situation in someone's life just by telling the truth in love to them. By saying, do you know what? I think, I think, I've seen this in your life and I think God wants to help you with that. Or just say, or just sometimes just giving them the space to talk. Just say, hey, tell me about how things are going on. And don't just take the stock answer, but then probe a little bit. How's it going in this situation? How's it going in that situation? Just get to know people. Get to know people. Get to know what they're really like. Listen to people. And as well as Fellowship, helping to encourage us and protect us as well all the time. It's, it should point us and other people, it points us to Jesus. It says in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, some of the effects of Babel are reversed. It's not just unity as one people, but he's now displaying his glory among the nations. He's saying that part of how... The world is going to see the glory of God is that they'll see us. They'll see how we love each other. And that's the sort of church we want to be in the city, that people come in and think, I'm not quite sure about some of the things that you say, but the, the reality of how you live is astounding. The way you care for each other, the way you love for each other, I've never seen anything like it. That's what we want people to say when they come in. They just want to look in over the fence and observe and say, well, there's something just captivating about this because you guys just do life differently. We get to present just a much better version of what life, of what community, of even what our city could be like. 
So let's finish up. I just want to talk about a bit more practically about uh, some kind of skills required for this fellowship. Because it says that they were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and breaking bread, but they devoted themselves to fellowship. And we don't know kind of how they did fellowship. Sometimes people read the end of Acts 2 and they'll, they'll talk about communal living. You know, they all just kind of went and lived in a big house together. That's not why you're here. It's not like we've got you all to this castle. We're going to lock the doors. Right, everyone, give us your passports and your wallets. We're all just going to share everything now. You know, that's not what we're saying. But we don't really know what it practically looked like. But we, we do know that they were devoted to it. That they were devoted to it. Um, um, devotion means a, a, a steadfast continuing. If you're devoted to something, you don't let go. You just carry on. You just keep going after it. So last, about this time last year, uh, Ajax, the Amsterdam football team, they were in the final of the Europa League playing against Manchester United. And a bunch of us went to Museum Plein to watch the game, and there were hundreds of thousands of people there. Um, and it was so busy that we thought, this is crazy. So we went back to Rich and Chantel's, and rather than watching it on the big screens of Museum Plein, we watched it in their little screen in their, in their living room. A few of us did that. Um, and, but if, and we did that because, you know, we were interested in the game, and I kind of like Ajax, but we're not, we're not devoted fans. If we were devoted fans, we would have pushed through the crowd in Museum Plein to see the game. Or we would have flown to Stockholm where the game was to watch it. You know, my neighbor is a season ticket holder, so he goes to every game. Win, lose, or draw, he goes to every game. He puts on his Ajax top, gets his car, goes to the game. Because he's devoted to it. And that's just what he'll do. And he'll probably do it, I don't know, until he dies. He'll just he'll keep following them. He's devoted to it. And it's, it's, it's easy being a football fan when your team wins all the time. Um, but they lost that game, unfortunately. And football teams lose. And that's, but where, if you're devoted, you don't care. You just, you just carry on. Um, and often it's us, for us in the church, it, it's easy to be devoted to a relationship when you feel like you're winning, when it's going, when it's going well. But when it's not, that's a bit harder, isn't it? It's, it, relationships aren't a one-way street. They're not always easy and straightforward. And sometimes it means in the church, learning to love the unlovable sometimes. Not just where the relationship is a bit up and down, but sometimes people who come into church life who really, on the surface, there's not really much that's appealing about them. There's nothing that we can really think, oh, I really click with that person. You might think, well, I don't really like them at all. But yet, you know, Jesus loves us when we're very unlovable. That's Christ-like love. And that's how we're to love others in the same way. And I think for us as a, as a church, I think this is actually quite an important thing that God's trying to teach us right now. Because, as I say to us often, we're not, we're not an expat church. We're not an international church. We're a church for Amsterdamers, of which all of us classify as that. Even you interns, just for this week, you're Amsterdamers, okay? We're a church for Amsterdamers, whatever that means. Um, and we don't want to say, well, we're only for these people or that people. We're for everyone across the city. And obviously, we were in an incredibly international city. 50% of this city are from all over the world. But 
are Dutch, right? And those are the people that I pray for all the time because we live in a very secular city where the vast, vast majority of people, they've not even rejected God because it was their grandparents that did it 40 years ago. You know, the Vonnelkirk stopped holding services 40 years ago, and that's true of most of the churches in our city. Um, so, and they're, they're, not, they're not easy people to reach with the gospel. That's the reality. But all the time, I'm praying for them. I'm praying, God, give us echte Amsterdamers, real Dutchies who've lived in the city. And the funny thing I've noticed is that the more I pray for it, God brings them along. But if I'm brutally honest, I'll be careful how I say this, they're often a bit weird. <laughs> it's not true of all Dutch people, definitely not or even of all Amsterdamers, but I have lots of conversations where people, you know, you get along, have a nice little chat, and they'll say something, and I think, hold on a second, I don't know what book you got that from, but that is not in the Bible, at least not in my one. Or you, they'll just say things, and you think, are you, are you okay? <laughs> like, do we need to call a doctor? And I have lots of these moments, and part of me gets frustrated, because I think, oh, it'd be great just to have some kind of, some good people come in, you know, some easy people. Right, and it's easy to think that way. Um, but I, God spoke to me about this, and I really feel that when these people come in, I'm sure you can think of some of them in your head. I won't, I'm not gonna name any names. None of them are in this room, but <laughs> they're definitely not. I wasn't, I wasn't just being nice. Um, but I think God's trying to teach us something here. He's, he's saying to us, can you, will you be faithful with these people? I was reading the other day in, in Luke, where he's, he's talking about money, but I think the verse is a helpful principle. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And if, if we want to build something in this city where we're not just a nice, cozy hub of expats, I, that, that scares me, that terrifies me, because that's, that's not the city that we're in. If we want to build something in this city, which we absolutely do, which sees lost and broken people come to Jesus, then we're going to have to learn how to be faithful, actually, with lost and broken people who aren't going to be easy to pastor, who aren't going to be easy to be friends with, who aren't going to be easy to, to love. And some of you, most of you probably work with people like this, have people like this on your street, in your neighborhood. I can think of a few on our street who just... They're not really nice, to be honest. <laughs> but these are the people that God's put as my neighbors. And I want to be good at loving them. And I'm not. And I want to I get good at that. I want to be faithful with the people that God's put in front of us. And believe that he will give us much, much more. And a, a good way for us to, to practice this devotion, this faithfulness, this kind of steadfast continuance... Is something I've talked about before, but it's really helpful for us to understand, is for us just to have a, a look at how relationships work, because um, this is not like any sort of golden rule, but how relationships tend to work is they go through a bit of a, a bit of, they follow a bit of a pattern, is that you get, first of all, excitement. You meet someone, you click, it works. Um, you think, oh, this might, you know, we could be friends. Um, but then, sometimes very quickly, sometimes after a long time, disillusionment kicks in. You know, they let you down, or they say something silly, or they disagree with you. 
you know, the first time I met Tim Jones, we discovered we liked the same sort of music. We were talking about the clash together. I thought, oh, I liked him. We can get on. And I discovered that he didn't like football. I thought, what's wrong with him? <laughs> this guy's broken. We need to take him back. But then you bring adjustment. And then you, you seek to bring it into a state of, of health. And you see, what people around us do all the time is uh, people are, are searching for excitement for relationships that will satisfy their needs, will give them a sense of fulfillment. If it doesn't work, you drop it and you move on to the next thing. That's how people do relationships. This isn't working for me anymore. Therefore, I'm not gonna push through. I'm not gonna try and fix it. We'll just, we'll just move on. Um, but the biblical model of relationships is one of covenantal commitment. Where you, you commit to one another. You say, no, I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love this person, even when it's not easy, even when things get in the way. We're going to to press through. We're going to to fight sometimes for relationships. There was was uh, someone in the church recently who who hadn't been around for a while, and and Simon Pask, bless him, did a brilliant job. He just got in touch with him and said, hey, I've not seen you for a while. How are you doing? And this guy replied and said, oh, actually, you know, I'm looking around a few different churches. I was feeling a bit disconnected from the community, felt maybe this wasn't really the home for me, so I've been looking elsewhere. And Simon wouldn't take no for an answer, so he took him out for a beer and talked it through with him. He did a great job. But what this guy was saying, I'm not sure we really got to the heart of it, but obviously something had disappointed him. In some way, he was disillusioned. I don't know why. Maybe something had happened relationship had broken down or whatever and he was like oh, I'm gonna, I'll just do something else he, he, he got disillusioned and he walked he didn't seek to try and fix it and hopefully I pray that's not the end of the story for him um, but that's so often what we can do we, we don't learn to fix things and yet how the gospel deals with disillusionment in relationships is in Colossians 3, where it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, if they've disappointed you, if you feel disillusioned, if they've let you down, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In the church, we have this huge tool at our disposal of forgiveness, and we should use that all the time. And we should do it quickly. That's what we try and train our kids to do at home, is to, is to learn how to... Oh, that's 50% of our conversations are about forgiveness and helping them to apply it and to do it quickly and not to hold grudges, but to learn how to love one another. And to, to, that's how you fix things. You forgive, just as we've been forgiven. And actually, often, what we need to do first is, is look at ourselves, Right? So often we, we, we want to blame the other person, but first of all, it's like, oh, what, actually, what have I done? You know, all these relationships that keep breaking down around me, oh, who's the common denominator? Well, that's, that's me. You know, I, I'm the one here that maybe, maybe there's something with me that I need to look at. Maybe there's something in my heart that I need to come to God to and ask for his forgiveness with. But then when we, we bring adjustment, that's when we can come towards a place of, of health. And the health we're talking about 
It's, it's more than just a good relationship where you're friends and you can share a beer and have a nice time together, but it's one where we're, we're stirring one another up. We're applying those passages from Hebrews. We're encouraging one another. We're exhorting one another. We're learning to selflessly love each other and point each other to Jesus. Those are the sort of relationships that we want to build. It says in 1 John 1 verse 3, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, any fellowship we have, any relationship, unity, community that we have, it's, it points towards this greater fellowship that we have, so much richer than mere human relationship. But as believers we now get to have fellowship with the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. Personal communion with our Father. Fellowship, relationship with a living God made possible by Jesus. Let me pray. Why don't you, let's just stand. Um, and let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for this unity that we have in you now that together across this room um, those even that we've left behind in the city that couldn't make it we're, we're united not by a brand or a name or a city or anything else or our language any of those things we're united by you Jesus and what you've done for us where you've reversed the, all the effects of sin You've started this grand reversal to draw us back into unity. First of all, unity with you, union with Christ. We get to sing and declare that we're in Christ. And that not, doesn't just mean in relationship with Jesus and the Father, but we're in Christ together as a people. You've called us into this beautiful, rich fellowship that we can say together, we're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. He's the head, but we're all part of that. Every single one of us. And it's only possible, Jesus, by what you've done. God, and we, we want to take that seriously. And we want to work that out in our lives and in our, in our relationships. We want to be devoted to each other. We want to steadfastly pursue each other, continue after each other, keep building relationships. Even when we're feeling disappointed, disillusioned, when people have let us down or they've just not met our expectations, when this church doesn't feels like, oh, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be, God, we just want to say, no, you've called us to be part of this. I'm not just going to throw it away. I'm going to commit to this because there's something richer to be had here. You might actually want to use these people to shape me. And you could use me to bless them. And you could use us together to reach this city. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, help us to, to work out this unity together, to work out this fellowship, this rich relationship together, to go on this grand mission and adventure together. God, I just pray for... For anyone here that, that does feel like there's somebody that's let them down 
or they know they've let someone else down, or they need just to speak the truth in love to a brother or sister. Let's pray for courage and boldness. We want to take this seriously, God. We don't want to be flimsy. We've got the whole weekend to work it out. We pray you'd, you'd help us to, to really work out the gospel together, to share you together.